everything you know about MotoGP, everything you love and everything you hold dear has now been ruined at the hands of Freddie Spencer, apparently. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. He got America involved in this sport, and gosh darn it, America Ugh. doesn't deserve anything nice. Clearly not. I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we could see. I mean, it's better if we say it because we're not like coming at it from like a condescending uh, perspective on it. But I don't know. Sorry, I just, I just had to get that out there. No, yeah, we, we can't, we can't let Dad talk about it over there in the uh, London yeah. corner. Of course. Oh, by the way, welcome to episode 438 of Motorsport 101. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison. And uh, as you may have guessed by the creative intro and RJ having to get that America off his chest in regards to Freddie Spencer, we are talking about MotoGP Spanish Grand Prix. It's weird how we have four races in Spain, but only this one is specifically called the Spanish Grand Prix. But here we are. Yeah, it's the Spanish Grand Prix at Jaref, one of the traditional big rounds on the calendar. 80,000 in the house. Uh, this time around as oh, well. Yeah, so yeah. great turnout for this one. Uh, a lot mm. of excitement, a lot of hype in the air. And after it all, Francesco Bagnaia wins. Lol. Um, hey, he stayed on the bike this time. He did stay on the bike this time. Good for him. And he won too. You know, got a got a narrow W over our friend and, continues. Over the over our friend and yours, the Lord Brad Binder. Um, yeah, we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk a little bit about KTM. Uh, if only Ryan King was here to listen to this, he'd be so happy right now that he got he had four KTMs on the podium over the course of the weekend. Four of them. I, I just and, know Ryan Eric King is looking down from uh, from Gizmondo heaven and smiling upon all of us. <laughs> <laughs> that is very bold to assume that Gizmondo went to heaven. Indeed, but uh, Gizmodo, not Gizmondo. Yeah, you said Gizmondo, and I rolled with it. Indeed, <laughs> neither, me, neither went jo- to heaven. As you can probably tell by now, joining me is RJ O'Connell. Hello, RJ. Hi, everyone. If you're listening to this, I'm probably getting back from the Miami Grand Prix. I, I'm either I've either had a really wonderful time, a really strange time, a really hectic time, or just a miserable time. It could be, it could be any one of them. I'd like to think it was a good time. Uh, but you'll hear more about it once we get into our Miami Grand Prix episode when we talk about four wheels. But I watched I watched more of this race than I did Baku, and I gotta say, great decision for me. It's just strange that I just like barely remember most of it. Yeah, it's it's a weird one in the sense that Haref was, I think, actually a pretty good race. I maybe go as far as to say the best MotoGP race you've had so far this season. Uh, um, I don't think that's a very high bar to clear, and I do think this race did indeed clear it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. The rest of the year has been pretty mid, and we've the the the, the fun talk has been the sprints, um, and it was another good sprint. Um, but I think the Grand Prix was also pretty good too. Um, and yeah, Cam Buckley. Uh, what did you make of the weekend in general? Um, yeah, it was a pretty fun race. I mean, this track that used to be, I mean, I mean, this track basically invented the modern stewarding decision system of MotoGP, and yet. Here we are, twenty years, almost twenty years later, back at it again. I'm so sick of talking about motorsport officiating. It's just, it, it never stops getting dull and duller, unfortunately, because it's just so infuriating that we have to keep doing this again 
and again and again and oh, I'll get into my. I case. mean, what are we going to talk about? Mark Marquez was hurt again. Anaya Bastianini was hurt again. Miguel Oliveira got hurt Ugh. again. Again. Um, yeah, oh, and uh, I mean, Honda came crashing back down to earth with uh, well, half their yeah. bikes, ha- half their bikes out of the race, uh, including the first one being Alex Rins. Ugh, the man who won two weeks prior. Yeah, but so, it, it uh, could be worse. You could be Yamaha. Ugh. Dear oh, God. At least Frankie's looking a bit better, I suppose, relative to his teammate, I guess. <laughs> Where is this bar? I don't know, but I want him to clear it because I want good things for Franco Morbidelli. Me too. Uh, Dre, tell, tell fine people, our podcast readers, where they can find us. Yes, you can find us on our website, motorsport101.com. A, a, Dre's race review for this race was the longest MotoGP episode of Dre's race review I have ever written. That, that bitch took me like 15 minutes to read through, and I am a fast reader. Yeah, like the read time on it is 11 minutes. And, I, I was having uh, to go back and I, I was having to go back and reanalyze parts of it. Yeah, it, it was a lot because I had so much to say in regards to this. Not only the stewarding, but the very culture of what of how we got to this point, and me basically pretending to be John Berko, a speaker of the House of Commons. You'd have to read the post to get the perspective I'm talking about here. But me order. just sitting there thinking order regarding MotoGP stewarding in general. Um, there's a big deep dive on that. The one of the other topics we're going to be getting into briefly in a minute about the women's world championship that was also announced over this weekend. Um, and yeah, like KTM as well being really good because we'll talk a little bit about that and uh, a certain other rider that made a wild card appearance, number twenty six. You'll know who I'm talking about in a minute. Um, but uh, we'll get into some of that. Um, like I said, website motorsport101.com. There's also some thoughts on there for IndyCar at uh, at Barber, as well as Formula One in Baku. Well, everything else besides Formula One at Baku, to be honest with you. Um, and of course, if you really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Five bucks gets you early access to all of our episodes. Ten gets you in the supporters club of our Discord server, where you can listen to these episodes live as they're being recorded, like Zoe is right now. Hi, Zoe. Thanks for listening in. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. Our personal handles at Dre underscore WTF1 at RJ O'Connell and at C Buckley. 917. Do check us out where you can. Right, let's get into MotoGP's Spanish Grand Prix. The first of many Spanish Grand Prix, but this is the only Spanish Grand Prix, capital S Spanish Grand Prix, at the rest, was a tense battle that went down to the wire. As Francesco Bagnaia, your reigning world champion, narrowly beat Brad Bender over the line by half a second in what would be KTM's best ever MotoGP weekend of the season thus far. A sprint win for Bender and two bikes on the podium in both the sprint and the Grand Prix with Jack Miller's pair of third places. And Danny Pedrosa. Daddy. The greatest rider at never to win a Premier Class World title, though not for lack of trying, came back as KTM's wild card. He finished sixth in the sprint. He backed that up with seventh in the Grand Prix, too. There were standing ovations at a huge party in the back as Petrosa got the Dale Earnhardt finally wins the Daytona 500 pit lane treatment. 
So, Dre, is KTM real? <laughs> I'm, just, uh, I'm just chop liver on this podcast now. I see how it is. <laughs> this is an interesting one because I'm kind of in two minds on this one, right? Because one side of me is like, KTM has always had the upside to be this good. The flashes. Flashes of it. It doesn't happen often. Like when it rains, they're often really, really good, as Miguel Oliveira proved. When they get the setup right, again, like Miggy did a few times over, they can be really, really good. Good enough to win outright. No questions asked. They've had a couple of freaky wins, like Brad Binder's comeback in the flag-to-flag race, for example, is another one where you go, well, my God, what the hell did I just witness? But first and foremost, I want to compliment the riders because they all stepped up big this weekend. Brad Binder was sensational all weekend. Probably his best weekend in MotoGP as a rider. He looked like he belonged. In race trim, he was sensational all weekend long. It, it was the weekend for me that Binder showed he can be an el- truly elite rider in this class one day. Give him, get him a competitive bike, and this man is going to fly. He's an incredible late breaker. He can drift that KTM like nobody's business around some of these corners. And he gave Francesco Bagnaia, the reigning world champion, on the best bike in this sport, every bit of business he could. He could. They were virtually inseparable for, for most of that race. That was such a great chase between Banyaya and, and Brent Bender. So yeah. Good. I was, Banyaya was on the line with the old college yeah. try. Yeah, like this was this was the true definition of the last of the late breakers between these two. And Banyaya like passed Binder at the Lorenzo final corner hairpin with with three laps to go. Um Banyaya goes over the line with a half second lead, and you're thinking, well, Banyaya, knowing how good a front runner he is, if he doesn't tuck the front, he's got this in the bag. No, Binder gunned him down on the final lap, and he claims, and we'll get into more of this, he claims that Freddie Spencer's words of doubt in his ears is what stopped him from sending it um, on Banyaya on the final corner. The traditional, we've seen it many a time, the final corner lunge at her F. Um, I think he's talking out of his butt because I remember him talking about it in the post-race driver's room. Um, where Drivers. He, oh, riders, I should say. But where he said that if he sent it, he would have wiped them both out. Is what he's, by his own admission. Yeah, he, he would have had to He would have had to break so late. And with how critical these front tires are in Michelin, once again, getting raked over the coals this weekend by some of the riders. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it would have been an extremely low percentage move. And for once, it would it would have actually been the other guy not taking the points that would have ruined Benyai's day. Yeah, yeah, that, that one, you wouldn't have been able to hold that one against him. But Binder made a business decision, took the 20 points, um, and, well, took 32 on Don't the weekend. Don't think he got there in the end. Yeah, yeah. And look, Brad Binder is now third in the championship after all of this. Yeah. He's the, he, him and Bezeki are the only two guys within a Grand Prix level worth of points behind Mangyar in the in the title race because Bez left this weekend with zero. Um, Disastrous weekend. Uh, it's, I mean, when when the best thing about your weekend is that it started with a catastrophic engine failure, you're probably not having a good time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I love that the journos knew. They had the documents about how old that engine was. Um, and they kind How of, old was it? 
Um, start of the season old. They Man, like, that's old. That's so old. It, it remembers when the Sony PlayStation was was the hottest thing in video games. Am I am I right? Thank uh, you. Try the veal. It's the best in town. Stop it. The, stop the it. PlayStation. The PlayStation Five is still doing very well for itself. RJ regarding KTM. I don't know, but I I don't know. We've been because here we've seen this. We have seen this way too many times where KTM rolls up. They have a great weekend. All of their bikes are fighting. And then next week, they're fighting for fringe points. Yeah. And I think there's been less of that this year. I think they are beginning to get a handle on things. And uh, the latest shipment of crack was actually diverted from Aprilia into KTM's aero department by virtue of Red Bull Racing, um, the world's most lovable racing team. Big triangle rear spoiler on the back of that. No, 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 not that. Not that. They have a whole... Uh, they were testing in Hareth after this where the uh, the much-hallowed Honda Calex frame appeared in. As it turns out, everyone likes it. Good. Well, Every, everyone likes it until is. Stefan Brattle put it on the floor in the first test. Oh. Yeah, well, you know. Stefan. <laughs> I digress. Um, KTM had this giant horizontal f- uh, flap ahead of their ground effect fairing, so they're starting to... Like they're they're treading into proper ground effect tunnel territory with their fairings. Oh, it's yeah. really quite wild. Um, but yeah, I need to see more out of KTM sustained on this level. Because I mean, um, on the one hand, Jack Miller had a great weekend of a pair of podiums. The week before, he crashed six times in a Grand Prix weekend. Yes, and Jack Miller's body is still a machine that turns fresh tires into destroyed tires. Yes, but God bless him, he was he was at least competitive for this one. Yeah, um, very competitively quick around this track, but this is just one track. Well, and they were competitively quick in Coda and then had a disastrous end to the weekend. What does it say about the state of the field that a man who's only had one other MotoGP appearance since his retirement in Valencia 2018 can come back into MotoGP dry and then immediately be competitive? Because Danny Pedrosa was 1.8 seconds off the win in the sprint and only six seconds off the win in the actual Grand Prix. Danny well, Pedrosa is still that, that dude. That's what happens when you open up the crate and there's still an alien inside. <laughs> and he is still just one of the most extraordinary riders I've ever seen. I mean, he's just so goddamn good. Special. He's such a special talent. I mean, let's not forget, we are talking about a five foot two man who is a hundred pounds soaking wet, and he is riding a 320 horsepower bike, one that's generally still quite unfamiliar to him. And he hasn't ridden a proper Grand Prix. He's only done it once in the last five years. Seven. And he beat the brakes off of two thirds of this field. He is remarkable. What a talent, Danny Pedrosa. You forget how good he is. And you forget that... The only reason why we forget is because he was up against Casey Stoner and Mark Marquez on the same equipment fighting Valentino Rossi and Jorge Lorenzo for wins. That's a hell of a class. He was the fifth man with four of quite possibly the 10 greatest bike riders to ever walk this earth. I have removed possibly from that sentence. 
I mean, yeah, I I was lowballing it only because of Casey, only because his career was cut short. But any, anyone who knows Casey knows he was a freak. Um, yeah, raw and- talent like nothing you've ever seen. And Danny Pedrosa, I mean, moment of the weekend for me, going P one in practice. Oh yeah, <laughs> and then Alberto Puig. The guy who shoved him, the guy who discovered him and sacrificed Nicky Hayden's career at Honda to favor Pedrosa, then threw Pedrosa out out on the street into an early retirement. To bring in Lorenzo. To bring in Lorenzo. That that went real well. His nemesis. His nemesis, who then proceeded to have his career ended by that shitbox of a bike. Mm. Um, They cut directly to his face. Beautiful. Chef's get, that, get that TV director a raise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was genius. That was. I loved every minute of that shit. <laughs> whoever was on, whoever was TV director on that one, write them a check. That was art right there. Oh god. And it, this, and I wrote about this. This felt like the true coming out party for Danny Pedrosa that he probably should have gotten five years ago. Um, he, it, he was I, very unceremoniously dropped. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of people in MotoGP knew it, that he still had something to give. Honda has never recovered from their departure. He's He is still badly missed in that Honda garage. Um, and this felt like a proper coming out party. I know MotoGP now does the rider parade with, with the open top bus before every race now. They brought that in this year very cleverly. Like Jack Miller could tell that they were only here for one man, especially now Mark Marquez announced on on Wednesday that he wasn't going to race this weekend. Um, And he literally got off the bus and lifted Danny Pedrosa up in front of the crowd. Like the The crowd erupted. Oh, they loved every minute. Like they were going nuts for Danny Pedrosa. And he's Um, not a hard man to pick up. No, like I said, five foot two, hundred pounds soaking wet, like a 10 year old kid. Any, any warrior. This dude is, this dude reminds me of, you remember for wrestling fans, you remember when WWE would have those promotions, like telling kids not to replicate the shit they do at home. Don't try to and they would have, school. Yeah. And they would have like all the wrestlers talk about their injuries. And it reminds me of Ray Mysterio Jr. Another dude is like five foot two and weighs a hundred pounds soaking wet. Talking about how he had surgery five times in his left knee. And that's a light work compared to what Danny Pedrosa has got. Danny Pedrosa. Danny Pedrosa is still more titanium than man. Yes. We love him. He has broken pretty much every major extremity limb on his body over the course of his career. He's now 37 years old. He's still, like I said, 5'2", maybe 100 pounds. He could still walk into MotoGP tomorrow and do a job. What a remarkable talent. And the amount of people that came out onto the pit lane when he got back to the garage after the race, lining up for high fives, and he got a stand innovation from his KTM crew when he got back to the carriage. Seventh place is a remarkable achievement for Pedrosa, given the circumstances. And How close this field is. It's nuts. He was he was six seconds off the win cam. Six seconds. 
And that was and that, and that was going that was D- Brad Bender and Francesco Bagnaia going hell for leather at the front of the field some of at the, the absolute dude, bleeding yeah. edge. Some of the fastest dudes we've ever seen in this sport were directly in front of him, like Jorge Martin, who is a, again we all know ludicrously fast when he wants to be. Bagnaia, stupid fast when he wants to be. Brad Bender, incredible all round bike rider. Jack Miller. He's a tire shredder, but he's still damn quick, and he always has been. Like, these are incredible talents that we've got around you. I do not get into this notion of, oh, well, the field must suck if Pedrosa's good. No, Pedrosa is just that good, and the field is good. Like, like, the sport works from a talent development standpoint. Danny Pedrosa is so good. And you know what? I hope he doesn't come back for no other reason than this was the perfect send-off. Just a reminder of his class. And... KTM, they they are so lucky to have him, and they know they're so lucky to have him, and that's why they gave him a hero's welcome. And they were throwing him around the garage like it was Valentino Rossi's retirement from a couple from from last year, because uh, there was there was beers and wine and shit being thrown everywhere, and Danny was getting the Ole chance everywhere. It, they love him. They love like him. like a Sammy saying coming out to, for the for the main event of night one of WrestleMania. Oh, 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 hell yeah! That's exactly what this is. It's, uh, it's, it's incredible. Um, it, oh, it's, it's, it's incredible. God, what a moment! How, what a, what a special moment! What, a, what a great thing to take away from this Sareth weekend. And now, let's, let's just throw that all in the garbage and talk about, you know, how the sausage is made, as you're fond of saying, because we all know why we're here. Members of the media. We'll not say who. We'll probably mention them later. But members of the media were apocalyptically mad over several of the stewarding decisions in today's race. Both factory Yamahas, that would be, of course, Fabio Cordoraro and Franco Morbidelli, had long lap penalties given due to incidents on lap one in the sprint and the race. One of those incidents really hurt Miguel Oliveira. Like, he's generally fine. Nothing serious, but he, he did get well, messed up pretty bad. No, it, 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 it's come out that he has uh, a small fracture in his left humerus. Uh, I don't uh, find that humorous. But no. Both, uh, both Corderaro and Morbidelli got long lap penalties. Francesco Bagnaia was given a position drop penalty mid-race for an aggressive move on Jack Miller, while Miller avoided punishment for a similar move on Jorge Martin. Y'all, I'm going to let y'all cook for this one while I ask you the question. Kim, I'm going to start with you. Has Freddie Spencer gone too far? Oh, God. <laughs> Take your time. Uh, I, I need a deck chair. I need a beer, a strong look, look, beer. If it, look, do you, do you need uh, some time to process this along with the news that IMSA just cut LMP3 from the sports car championship? Huh? Yeah, that I've news just never, broke. I've never been harder in my entire life. <laughs> sorry, anyway. sorry, for the, sorry for the derailment. Breaking news on Motorsport 101 recorded Wednesday. Oh, that that, that does shows. my heart. That does my heart good. Get ready um, to learn VP Sports Car Racing know, Championship, buddy. <laughs> Get ready to learn the void, buddy. Um, speaking of the void, screaming into it. No. But also, yes. Okay, so the long lap penalties, the Yamaha riders. Let's unpack the incidents. Yes, Zoe, thank you in the chat. Um, let's unpack these incidents one on one. First of all, Frankie Morbidelli's in the sprint. 
sent it up the inside in a disappearing gap that was probably never really there. Caused the big pile up. I thought that long lap penalty was very well earned, especially given the calls for a certain rider to have a race ban and uh, I don't care ban him um, mentality around him after that incident in the opening round. Fabio Quartararo's I've rewatched this uh, his turn two incident in the first lap of the race. I've rewatched this. God, maybe 20 times. And I just feel I, I, I'm going to take a page out of James Hinchcliffe's book regarding um, racing three wide. If you're the last into a three wide, you need to be the first one out of it. And Fabio was in between two other bikes without really having any position to try and make an overtake. And the gap just closed while he was still in it and everyone went down. Yeah. Uh, again, given the precedent that was set on the opening lap the previous day, and given a lot of the discourse that we've seen around riding incidents this year, I didn't have a problem with a long lap penalty for that either. And that's where the stewarding discourse kind of begins. Because everyone was up in arms that he got a penalty for that. Dre? <sighs> I'll only get into the, the aggressive racing penalties separately because those are, I think, an entirely right. different discussion. Right. Now, I'm generally in agreement with Cam on this. I think... I think a lot of that, the first two you talk about Yamaha and the long lap penalties. My general rule of thumb is, well, how do you feel about lap one incidents in general? Because, like, Haref is a nasty track, especially off the start, because turns one and two in Haref are quite brutal. Turn one is an uphill, 90-degree right-hander. You know, a lot of camber involved. It's not, it's not an easy corner to get a load of bikes through. A lot of bikes are going to have to square off the corner just by proxy. Turn two is the slowest corner on the track. It's a hairpin bend. It goes downhill in, in, into its braking zone, and you're putting 22, 320 horsepower bikes through that same funnel. A part of me feels like it's inevitable, but I, I came up with the theory that I felt like Freddie Spencer boxed himself in with that first decision on Morbidelli. And, that, like, and look, there is an argument. You can make that Morbidelli deserves a penalty for that sprint clash. There's also an argument that he doesn't deserve one. I, I, I think you could go either way on that one. But I think once Freddie made the call to hit Morbidelli with a long lap penalty, it boxes him in for Quadraro. Because for me, you can't give that as a penalty, but then not penalize Quadraro for his incident, where he basically goes into the middle of a free wide with Marco Bezzecchi and Miguel Oliveira gets his breaking point wrong, goes in too deep, and then collects himself and takes Miggy with him. Well he did Miggy's off. He, he didn't go he didn't go too deep. He just got hit because he's in the middle of the three wide and he's not really in the three wide. He's got about half his front tire in there. He's half committed, which is about the worst thing. Exactly. I mean we talked about this in Formula One. If you're gonna commit to an overtake, commit to it. Don't go for the overtake end up in that situation and then try to back out of it when it's too late because you're just going to cause an incident. It's, it, we it, saw it's, it with, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a low with Danny thing. Rick yeah. in Mexico it, it, against uh, Tsunoda last year. It was like a perfect example. 
it's a low percentage move at best. Yeah. And and you're playing with fire if you're going to go into the middle of a free wide like that, especially on that sort of corner. That is asking for trouble. Someone's going to have to sit their bike up. There's no way you're getting free bikes through there clean. Mm. Um, that's asking for trouble. Um, so, yeah, I, again, I can understand the arguments. And on a side note, Fabio's second long lap during the race was an absolute slam dunk penalty. Anyone getting mad about that is blind. That's always yeah, been yeah. the rule. If you for, put for, it for context, yeah, it, it's I, a bi- I, it's a binary rule for a long lap penalty that if you put a wheel outside either line um, when you serve in your penalty loop, you will be asked to do it again. And it's a binary rule. It always it's how it is in every motorsport in the world. If you don't serve your penalty correctly. You have to serve it again. Yeah, that's an across-the-board rule. So anyone getting mad about that is crazy. It's always been that way. And it's to be fair to MotoGP, it's always been enforced correctly as well, as far as I'm aware. So I've not seen an example where someone's crossed the line and not been penalized for it. So whatever. The difficulty comes when we get to the race itself and the two incidents involving Manyaya, well, Involving Jack Miller, ironically. Um, Banyaya passing Miller uh, at, at Pedrosa Corner, and then Miller's on Martin at Lorenzo Corner a couple of laps later. Now, to me, I don't think either of these passes warrants a penalty. I agree. I think that Banyaya's move at the hairpin was late. It was aggressive, but I think it was fair. I think Spencer reacted to Jack Miller's angry response. That's my theory. I think he saw Miller raise a hand in frustration and then made the call that Banyaya must have hit him or something or seen the replay and thought, well, this is overly aggressive. Hit him with a position drop. Which, again, I don't agree with it, but I can see an argument as to why that might be deemed too much. However... By that logic alone, your entire argument falls apart if you don't clap Miller for that block pass at the at the Lorenzo hairpin on Jorge Martin, who the only reason there was a there wasn't contact was because Martin had to, had to take evasive action. He jumped out the way. He had to get out of the way because Miller would have speared him otherwise. Now, again, that was deemed a clean pass and no penalty was given. The first three incidents we've mentioned, in a vacuum, if you've thrown out the precedent that an, if you go over this line of aggressive moves with contact, you're now going to be punished for it, fine. Again, I don't agree with it, but I can understand how you get there. Mm-hmm. Number four throws the, number, throws the first three out of the water. That's the problem, because now... Yeah you've set a confusing precedent and then you've immediately broken it. With you've Miller. thrown out your own precedent. Right. One incident later. Now, I'm going to be real with you here for a minute. I don't like the way Freddie Spencer is being discussed about this. And there's a reason why for this, right? And this is where my house of commons analogy comes into play. If anyone's ever seen British Parliament and seen the House of Commons, the party in government takes the right-hand side, and then you've got the opposition parties on the left-hand side, right? Mm -hmm. Replace them with, on the right side, 
the FIM, Freddie Spencer, and Dorna, right? The guys who organize this sport on all levels. There is a level of accountability on their end that they need to be held to account for. I'll give I'll give some of the mainstream media this. They're right. I don't like that Freddie Spencer never talks to the media. I don't like that there is no explanation towards any of the decisions that, that the FIM makes regarding how their races no. were officiated. Yeah, like, like Freddie Spencer in this case. like The, the FIA has been, well... They, they did it more or less of their own volition and were then forced to more or less break, put out documents breaking down their, the stewards explanation of why a decision was or was not taken. I think yeah. in the name of transparency, that's a good move because even if you don't agree with something, you can see how they got there. Yeah. In the case of the FIM, they're more or less a faceless entity other than, you know, putting it to a name each decision is made is made unilaterally with no discussion on the public side. We're not privy to any justification of why they do or do not do something. Right. Nope. Uh, I, I don't like that. And I don't like the fact that they're never available to, to, to explain their decisions to the media, which would go a very long way to trying to at least see the logic and see where they're coming from, even if you disagree with it. I'm not saying... Everybody has said what they would about Michael Massey about 10, 20, 50 times over, but he always made time for for people, including myself, to explain what he did after a race. Yeah. 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 And I'm I'm very glad, at least, that when Australia came up again earlier this season, and this is a small tangent here for, for a minute, that... Some of the things said about Freddie Spencer during this weekend were vile. They were disgusting. And they have no place in a civilized social media platform anywhere. And I distinctly remember during the Australian Grand Prix and for Formula One, because Michael Massey was in the house there, because obviously he's now race director for V8 Supercars. And Ted Kravitz, who has absolutely fanned the flames about Abu Dhabi 2021 multiple times since it's happened. In fact, it was probably his comments that led to the infamous Red Bull media boycott they had during Mexico last year. It's mentioned again that he feels like Hamilton's an eight-time world champion and, and that he was the true winner of Abu Dhabi 2021. And it was David Croft who had to step in and was like, well, and no, uh, Michael Mas- get to that. Yeah. Before you even get to that, he was basically saying, why is he in the paddock? Why is he allowed to be here? Why is he allowed to be in the presence of F1? It's like, because he has a job to do. Yeah. He's literally on the support bill doing his job for V8 Supercars. He decided to hire him. That's their right. And a race that none of us could watch live unless he got a VPN, but yeah. that's neither here nor there. The point is, regardless of whether you agree with someone or not on their decisions, and it affects your favorite boy. He's a human being. And he did not deserve the vitriol that he got from Kravitz during that broadcast. And I'm glad that David Croft had to be the one to step in and was like, well, no, he's a human being and he's doing his job. And that's why he's here. And as much as you agree or disagree with that decision, he doesn't deserve to be sent death threats regarding his own existence or has to worry about himself or his family which is a disgusting thing to have to even have to fear and worry about in today's society. So no, however, do not a a given individual does not deserve death threats because they made a decision that affects your favorite athlete. A hundred percent. And 
on the one side of that, you've got Freddie Spencer, Dorna, you know, the FIM. On the other end of the coin, we have us, the fans, the mainstream media. And I think we're just as accountable as they are in regards to how this sport should be officiated. Like, some of the extreme comments I've heard regarding how this sport is being seen right now is laughable to me. I've heard, I heard comments referring to the sport as corrupt. I've heard comments saying that Freddie Spencer wants to make MotoGP a non-contact sport, which is just so not true. In, 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 it's so melodramatic. Although, oh, Freddie Spencer is the most dangerous thing about bike racing and it's killing this sport. And then... It doubled down when Brad Binder made those comments saying that he couldn't send it on Banyai because of Freddie Spencer, which is just not true. Like, you couldn't uh, send we, it because of- you couldn't get into a position to send it without risking yours and Banyai's race. And you know what? Sometimes that shit happens. It's motorsport. Like, this is the one year anniversary of Francesco Banyai winning this race last year with an illegally low front tire when the entire sport had a handshake agreement to cheat and not punish one another for it. This is a sport that has opened Pandora's box on aerodynamics and has refused to put the genie back in the bottle. This is the sport that has ride height devices that could be deemed as a safety risk and still allows them to be used anyway. This is a sport... Knocking Aprilia's out of races. Yeah, like this is the sport that has now so much aero, it has a genuine raceability problem to the point where Michelin, and look, don't get me wrong, they deserve some fair criticism for how their tires have been constructed, but they can't build a tire that can handle the amount of pressure that these bikes are now generating on said front tires. The sport has a fundamental raceability problem, but now you're telling me Freddie Spence is the real problem. Uh, No. I'm sorry. It's like people need to put their agendas aside and realize that as much as I don't like Freddie Spencer stewarding, he is not the biggest problem in this sport right now. And don't get me wrong. It is a problem, but I feel like we've raked him over the coals many a time on this show. Right. This is not one of those days. And I, and I feel like he's now becoming the scapegoat for a lot of the sports issues. And I don't like the, the way this is going narrative wise. We, we spent too much time and too much frustration at so many of the issues that MotoGP has gone through in the last couple of years to get to this point that now Freddie Spencer is the problem. Now I'll, I'll say his name. Simon Patterson tweeted me when I, mentioned this theory about Freddie Spencer and how I think he boxed himself into a corner regarding her F. And and the tweet's out there. It's public, so I don't mind talking about it. And I honestly I couldn't be asked to reply. I was just like, you know what? This well, is not to worth, that effect, right? Like, this is not worth the pissing contest. But he's he, like Patterson said to me that generally lap one incident shouldn't go punished. Well hang, then, on. What? hang on to that for just hmm. a sec, Dre. Hmm. This is the guy who on it on the races podcast basically screamed for 10, 15 minutes about how he doesn't care what the precedent is. He wants Mark Marquez banned for the race one incident, which lap one to lap two ooh, massive difference where Mark broke too late and crashed into two other riders. He got very deserved 
pair of long lap penalties. And or we, did or did he? Because we don't. Or know did he? Because they don't know how to. Because again, this is we're not defending MotoGP stewarding at large here. There is definitely a problem here. We're not saying that there isn't, but you can't then turn around and then say, "Oh well, early race incidents and lap one incidents." There's a degree of mitigation with that because, well, the entire sport called for Takanakagami's head last year. When he, when he himself headbutted the back of a Ducati. And broke Alex Rin's wrist in the process. Yes. And no one cared that it was lap one, turn one, because it caused a gigantic pileup. That was the same race that Alex Rins apparently used the word cunt under his breath and was and basically said Freddie Spencer was not fit for his job as, as lead steward. So you are asking for the line to be in different places depending on which rider is going to fall foul of that line and how hard the racing you want to see is. And that is just not how this can work. Right. This, this, this is what I'm getting at here. We don't like, I don't think any major party involved knows what a penalty is anymore. And I'm being generous when I say I'm feigning ignorance to a degree on this, right? I think there's a, a lot of agendas out there. I think I absolutely think a lot of people don't like Mark Marquez's riding style to the point where he's now again an easy scapegoat for uh, his incident at Portimao was the biggest gotcha. A lot of a lot of the people that hated him have been waiting for another aggressive incident where they can go, ha ha, got him, like hit him with a race, race ban. And there is so many double standards I've pointed out regarding how these races are officiated, not from Dorna's side, not from the FIM side, but from us as fans. On the one hand, you, you say lap one move shouldn't be punished, but in the same breath, we're saying that, you know, Nakagami should have been given a severe penalty for what happened in Catalonia. What about Jorge Lorenzo when he tucked, when he tucked the front of Catalonia in 2019 when he was at Repsol Honda? And yeah, then and he went full three bowling ball. Rivals. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he got raked over the coals by everyone involved and... He did get a penalty for that, didn't he? No. Oh, yeah, he didn't. <laughs> right. So, you know, you pick and choose when lap one moves should and shouldn't be punished. And you pick and choose what needs to be hit harder and what needs to be let go as a racing incident. The riders don't know where the line is. The stewards don't know where the line is. And fuck, we don't know where the line is either. We all sit here confused as fuck. And that's what lead the confusion is what leads to the anger. It's what leads to the agenda making. And it's what leads to us sitting here twiddling our thumbs, getting into dick measuring contests on social media. Because the reality is no one knows what a yard is anymore. No one knows what a penalty is anymore. And then that just brings up all the anger, all the frustration. And as a result, we all take it out on Freddie Spencer because he's the easy target in all of this. And and, and there's valid criticism for Freddie Spencer to be to, to there's valid criticism to be had towards him. Absolutely. In this scenario, because ultimately those decisions have kind of brought us to this point. But it's well, not validating the death threats that you're sending the dude. It's not validating any of the nasty stuff that we're seeing. It's he's he's not the only problem with this sport from a competitive or from a sporting standpoint. This sport's got many, many problems. We we've talked about it a great length. 
on previous MotoGP Look, episodes. we still don't know if when Mark Marquez comes back, if he's going to serve a double long lap penalty. We still don't know. It's been over a calendar month now. Right. We blame him Spencer for that just... one too. I know we kind of have to. because uh, he... Yeah, in this case, yes, but that's valid to blame him over. Right. We, we, we've we gotten to a point where we are now trying to dump every one of the sports problems on him, and it is not as simple as that. It just isn't. No. And I refuse to sit here and make him... I, I, I believe that I am better than this, and I'm not going to start making out that the guy is a scapegoat for all of the sports issues. Yes, he probably got her F a bit wrong this weekend, but I don't think this was the massively egregious weekend that a lot of people think it is, because the reality is a lot of these people wanted tougher stewarding in the top flight and now don't like it that they've gotten said tougher stewarding. Be careful what you fucking wish for, because we're going to end up with more weekends like this. Like, I don't... like. Every, no one knows what they want from their bike racing. Anymore. Nobody wants, knows what they want for their racing in general, man. Yeah, yeah. This is not this is not an exclusively bike racing problem. But you know, you give people what they want, and then they spit it back at you. And then you say, "Well, you wanted more cheese and more macaroni, and now you don't want macaroni or cheese." If you I'll understand take the macaroni that reference, cheese. if you understand that reference, you get ten points. I'm I'm culturally ignorant, Cam. You know this. Uh, um, Courage the Cowardly Dog. Go watch it. It's great. Uh, I, oh, I have watched that, but it was, it was never one of my favorite late '90s, early 2000s cartoons. I'll be real with you. Um, uh, you know, it. it this will be talked about. Uh, hopefully, not for a while, but I can't imagine it's going to uh, you know ever leave. Um, no. Also, on Thursday, we had a. A very strange, a weird champ announcement. Uh, the FIM announced that they will be creating a women's world motorcycle racing championship. It'll be added to the world superbike support bill as, quote, a final destination championship. Um, pause for pause for blank stares. Bits of derisive laughter. Yeah, uh, snarling. Uh, it'll likely be on 600 cc super sport bikes. It could be up and running as soon as 2024. Go back and listen to our previous podcast for our thoughts on F1 Academy and how that was handled, or rather how that was not handled. But I mean, that may tip where we're heading with this. Dre, do we think this is the way to increase female participation in motorcycle racing? It's a start. This is better than zero. And that's not necessarily a compliment. This has been something that a lot of people, and I'll give him his credit, as well as being critical of him to a degree, when I, talk, when I talked to him about it a few minutes ago, Simon Patterson's been one of these people that have been gunning for this for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And I agree with him that you need to do something, because I've said that before that the sport is five years behind Formula One when it comes to diversity. And Formula One hasn't exactly done a sterling job of that in in, in recent times. So, yeah, it, it's not ideal. And a lot of the information I just mentioned, that RJ just mentioned, came from Gregorio Olivia, the uh, organizer of, of the World Super World Superbikes um, series. Um, it's a start, certainly. I think the platform is ultimately a good thing. But I will echo what I said in our F1 Academy special where we talked a little bit about that during Baku's podcast. I'm not sure this is the right way to do it. I'm not sure this is the right area for it. 
Um, I don't think a final destination world championship for women is the best path when you're in a 99% male-dominated sport. You know what that reads to some people? That means we have found a way to sequester all these other women away from the shit that we actually care about. That's yeah, what that reads to some you end up in a You end up in a, a situation where all the, all the female riders are segregated off into their own championship. And to kind of echo a point that we made, it's kind of topical that this week we're getting to talk about this in two completely separate sports. Mm. Um it feels like they're running before they can walk or indeed like crawl or breathe. Yeah. Because the end point, you've got an end point championship without any of the infrastructure to support it. You've made, you've made a formula one with no feeder series to feed it. Yeah. Um, Where are all the riders going to come from? Yeah. Jorge Vegas made, made the point that, during the press conference that uh, there's there's going to be a road to get into this series set up um, in the future, which, okay, good. Um, but I do wonder, what's the participation going to be like towards a talent cup, for example, at that level? Like, it works in areas like Asia and Britain, because Britain's had a talent cup in the past, it works there because you know the participation is healthy and there'll always be more talent coming through the pipeline from a junior series level to climb the ranks. Mm. There's no proof of concept for women in in this regard yet. Like, Unfortunately, there's very, very few names you can point out that are on the two main series support bills right now. I mean, we're talking the same names we've always mentioned. Anna Carrasco, the 2018 World Super Sport 300 champion, Maria Herrera, who's currently in, in, in Moto E, you know, Jenny Timmer, for example, who I know was on the BSB um, top flight for a little while as well. The point I'm getting at here is, is that motorsport is one of the wonderful few sports out there where physical limitations do not stop you from being able to compete at the very highest level. We just talked at length about Danny Pedrosa, a 5-2 man who... Everyone but me right now, because I just had surgery a month ago, would be able to pick up. Right. And he is an extraordinarily talented individual who is the greatest rider to never win a championship, and it ain't close. 31 Grand Prix wins at the highest level. 31. Against, against the best. Against the very best this sport's ever had. Probably the two best riders of all time, and another guy who's in the top five, Jorge Lorenzo. Uh-huh. I'll probably chuck in that as, as yeah. well. Like the point I'm getting at here is, is that it feels like I don't like the idea of an end game. And I, when I wrote about this, I used two recent examples in other sports where, again, physical limitations don't are not a hindrance towards women being able to compete at the highest level against men. I used Fallon Sherrick in the world of darts who exploded onto the scene when she made it to the third round of the actual world championship um, a couple of years ago. The co-ed world championship, the one at the Alexandra Palazandra. God, that was so hype. She beat Ted Evans in one match, and we thought, that's amazing. And then she and then she went on beat Mentor Silovich, who was a top 16-ranked player at the time. Right. And that was that was a lightning in a bottom. Billie Jean King commented, commented on that on social media. 
the Billie Jean King talking about darts. Oh, you, yeah. That's some imagine? good shit. That's that good shit. Right. And then anyway, I mean, yeah, sorry, sorry, to, sorry to interrupt our, our uh, uh, darts 101 here. No, but like, <laughs> you're absolutely right. And I used Rianne Evans, who, again, has, has won the Women's World Championship in snooker, I want to say 13 times. And she's now continually trying to crack, a, to get a tour card to compete with the men on, at the very highest level. And it's, it's almost a bit, a bit sad in a sense that her most high-profile moment while doing that was having to compete against her own ex-husband, Mark Allen, who just made a world championship semi-final. Um, and that was awkward as hell. And it was awkward as hell because that was a more high-profile moment for snooker than it probably should have been. But I digress. They understand that, yes, it's nice to win a world championship against other women, but we all know the true end game is being able to compete against men because it's been a male-dominated sport for as long as we remember, and beating the few other women that take part within your sport is not the true end game. So no, calling the, the this... The game here yeah, yeah. should be competing in MotoGP. Yeah. We all know that's the true end game. Yeah, not competing in MotoGP, competing yeah. in World Superbike. Yeah, like... That, that should be the end game. Yeah, it, the end game should not be competing in a segregated world championship on world superbike support bill it just isn't and like i'm not gonna pretend like it should be we should expect better we we should expect better i mean and and to that effect as well i mean we don't even really talk about world superbike much on this uh podcast anymore due to the continued savage beatings of the field by alvaro bautista um and soon to be the face of bmw top rack uh Razgadi, God, God, why are you? Why are you doing this to yourself, Raz? Why? Oh, Keenan, here it goes. <laughs> but I digress. Um, does anyone here really give a shit about World Super Sports Six Hundred? I mean, I do because I'm weird. There will be there will be people. Look, uh, on a grand scale, it, 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 it's, sickos will watch. Anything sickos will get invested. I in know. Anything. I'm aware. I am one of those sickos. Um, but it just was the end game should be it being a springboard up into World Superbike or MotoGP yeah. or any regional top flight superbike series, not just being on on the support card oh, on a I class know. that is very niche. Yeah. Yeah, it just, it just, again, I just don't like this attitude of sticking a fork in the middle of the ladder and having done with it. And I think they've gone, I think they've gone backwards. I think you should have the support groups coming up through the ladder system first and working on that before you declare a world championship. And look, this is going to need all the exposure it's going to get. Sticking it on world superbike support bill is not the way to do it. No. It just isn't. It no. needs the full-blooded Dorna package on this I, one. I mean, it's, World Superbike is genuinely unwatchable in the United States. Right. Um, I, no, I, I need no to. I, yeah, I need to purchase it. I need. I need to purchase another video pass that I didn't intend to purchase. Thank you, Dur- uh, Dorna. Um. And and I just. 
the solution is at the grassroots level all the way on up it we're is not as you, we're, we're talking about mini bikes we're talking about putting these people on mini bikes when they're barely old enough to walk because that's what it takes these days that's what it takes to get to the highest level of moto gp and as as you said dre the, the solution for me is not all right let's bring the darts analogy back in you're going to close your eyes. You're going to throw the dart, whatever series, whatever intermediate class it lands on. That's what we're going with. That's not a solution. Yeah, I feel like we, we still have we still have work to do in that regard. And like, don't get me wrong. It's nice that it exists. It's nice to get a public declaration that the sport is trying to Where's do something. The bar? Yeah, the, the it, bar is it exists. The right. bar is that exist from another entity who, again, do you really trust the FIM to be doing this entirely with altruistic views in mind? It'd be nice if they were. No. I, I have to be very blunt about it. No. No, I don't. They're an even bigger nepotism factory than the FIA. And boy, we've talked about it. Oh, yeah. 100%. And yeah, I have every reason to be cynical about it. But uh, we can only hope they they build on this and they put the path in place all the way down to grassroots in mini moto level and hopefully you can inspire the next generation because if you think on in four wheels the game is bleak it's even bleaker on two and and um anna carrasco is an unfortunate extreme outlier of the state of, of women's bike racing unfortunately and much much more needs to be done uh, that's that's how I look at it anyway. MotoGP is back in two weeks' time uh, at uh, at Le Mans, and that should be an interesting one. Wait a minute, week. my trip to Le Mans not. Uh, oh, it's motorcycle Le Mans. It's Le Mans Bugatti. Yeah, yeah. It's Le, Le Mans Bugatti, Bugatti but the other one because yeah, we also just one. had the twenty four hours of Le Mans for bikes. Indeed, Indeed. Uh, Mark Marquez likely back at Le Mans, and uh, Enea Bastianini likely back at Le Mans. Couldn't make it through her F's weekend, unfortunately. Too much pain in the in the shoulder blade. Still yeah, had to pull out on we'll Saturday. Have to see. But um, uh, we'll have to see. Hopefully, he'll be back for... See about Miggy. We don't know what the prognosis is for Miggy right now. Yeah, get well soon, Miggy. Um, he's had a, just a wretched, wretched run of luck um, since joining Aprilia. The man is still very quick. Um, it's just he's been T-boned twice already this season um jesus poor guy um we'll have to wait and see um but yeah best wishes to miggy on that one um maybe we'll get mar marquez back and maybe an a bastianini at le mans we'll have to see it's the last moto gp race before they take a a four week uh spring break of their own it's very weird this goddamn calendar uh no kazakhstan it's been struck from the calendar yeah we didn't mention that kazakhstan's gone um, in You're all news. shocked. You're all so shocked that this barely finished course in an unproven market. This is a very big failure. Right. And uh, yeah, nothing of value was lost. I um, can't wait to tell my wife. Low-hanging fruit. In very The lowest of low-hanging fruits. Uh, Dre underscore WTF1 at RJ O'Connell at C Buckley 917 motorsport101.com our website motorsport underscore 101 uh, is our Twitter 
do check us out on all of those platforms if you haven't already. Um, much love to all you guys for watching as ever. We'll be back for IndyCar at Barber. But until then, thanks for watching. Watching? Damn. Oh, that's a blooper. We're a visual uh, medium again. We're a visual Thanks medium again. Listening. Who knew? Uh, but from me, Dre Harrison, RJ O'Connell, and Cam Buckley, thank you very much for listening. And I'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Thanks for reading, y'all.